Hey everyone, my name is Abraxas. I'm a strategist, thought leader, and creative, and you're listening to the fourth week of IWC Schaffhausen's weekly podcast, Creators Time. IWC are a luxury watch brand based in Switzerland who have decided to partner with me for this amazing six-part series. This week, we're talking about self-acceptance and how being unique is your superpower with Brandon Farbstein. Brandon is a 22-year-old renowned speaker, Gen Z activist, and author. He inspires millions of people across the globe with his universal message of living life on your own terms and building the framework for self-acceptance. Brandon, how are you doing? How's it going? How have you been? My man, I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, it has been a while since we've got had the opportunity to speak. And you know how I do. I like to um, drill into people quickly <laughs> with some, with some, you know, with some quick questions. So I'm going to throw some questions your way. And then I'm going to give you a really big introduction for those that don't know who you are. So Brandon, really quickly here. What was your favorite subject at high school? I would say science. Science. Boo. Uh, all right, cool. All right, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> sunsets or sunrises? Oh, definitely sunsets. Sunsets. Brandon, what is going on here? All right, cool. Science and, sun- <laughs> <laughs> science and sunsets. All right. Um, winter vacation or summer vacation? Oh, easy. Summer vacation. I hate the cold and would much rather have the beach and sand in my toes and it be tropical paradise any day. <laughs> I get it. No, I'm fully, fully, fully with you on that one. Okay. 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 One in three, one in three. Okay. I'm going to have to throw one more your way because I've got to get at least half. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Facebook or Instagram? I would say overall Instagram is my, my choice. <laughs> okay. 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 I respect that. I respect that. Okay. Okay. Two, two, two. All right. Perfect. All right. So for anybody who doesn't know who I'm speaking to, I've got the pleasure of speaking to Brandon today. Brandon is a 22-year-old renowned speaker, Gen Z activist, author. He's inspired millions of people um, in, you know, 22 years, you know, been on TEDx, so on and so forth. Born with an extremely rare form of dwarfism, Brandon has turned his life experiences into an extremely empowering narrative. After dealing with cyberbullying, uh, you know, high school, and you know, I could talk about high school for days, not a great <laughs> experience to me either. You know, Brandon's been the driving force behind two pieces of legislation that were signed into law in Virginia on bullying prevention. Like, this is huge, 22 years old. Um, you know, whether sharing his message with thousands of people verbally, he also has two books, not one, two, I just want to say this again, 22 years old, right? Um, One called 10 Feet Tall and another one called A Kid's Book About Self-Love. You know, he's worked with many of the Fortune 100 companies and continues to do brilliant work and was one of Instagram's 19 most influential figures today. So Brandon, I had to give you that introduction. You are a force to be reckoned with. Thank you, my man. I appreciate that a ton. Seriously, man. Like, I just want to get one book out and you're 22 and have two. <laughs> like, well, I'm just trying to catch up. One of those things that I want people to see through my journey that age is just a number. It doesn't have to mean 
anything. I mean, yes, there's going to be natural barriers sometimes in place, but there are also hurdles and barriers that we have to face every day just in general. So that's been uh, my narrative throughout my life, but just getting to really use what I've been given in the most exponential way. That's incredible. The fact that you, as you said, using what you're given. So my first question for you today is, when did you know that you were different? Now, for, for me, there were certain things when, you know, like I realized that maybe I was taller than everybody else or first situation that I was in where maybe I was the only, you know, only person of African descent in the room. And I was like, holy smokes, I'm different. But for you, at what point did you realize that, hey, I am different? The first moment that I distinctly remember asking why I look the way that I do was at four years old. And I was standing next to my mom and there was a full length mirror in her room. And I asked her, why do my bones look so weird? And she said, your bones aren't weird. They're just built special and you are special. But I never really correlated that being special slash being unique was a good thing. It always was something that I absolutely hated. But what my parents really tried to instill in me was that even though I had this set of cards that was handed to me that was difficult and basically living in a world not built for somebody like myself, I had to navigate it and really try and find the solutions that were going to be out there for me. But there wasn't any roadmap. And especially with my form of dwarfism being so rare, there are only about 84 cases reported in medical history, which is crazy if you think about that. And I have really tried to see in now the later part of my life that it's all about leveraging that and understanding being unique and Owning that fully is everything. I love that. I'm going to lean a little more into what you you said earlier, right? So you're standing in front of the mirror. Your mom's in the room. You say, mom, why, you know, why do my bones look like this? So as all of us do, we have to navigate high school. And I don't know anybody who navigates high school unscathed. Like it just doesn't. Anybody who says they had a great time at high school... I want to talk to you because I just, <laughs> like, that is, do you know what I mean? It's just, it, that time is just, ugh. anyway, Yeah. I digress. What did, you know, what words of advice did your parents give you? For me, my parents were like, you know, don't have your hair too long, right? Um, you know, don't drive, you know, never tint your car, right? Um, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to attract any attention to yourself. You know, always be polite. You know, they, these were the things that they said, you're going to have to work twice as hard. These words that they said in some cases were inspiring and in some cases just made me feel even more different. So from you, what words did your parents give you as words of advice? Well, high school for me was even more of an amplified, I would say just a horrible experience and not only navigating what it means to be a young person and find your peer group and identity and all of those things. But I was very severely cyberbullied. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But my parents really didn't have any answers to give me other than 
you really have to navigate this as best you can with the support that you have around you and really build that as much as possible. But it was something that they tried to teach me that I'm always going to have people that either look at me funny or make comments that are derogatory or really negative or mean or whatever it might be. And overall bullies like that is always going to be a factor for me. And so they, I think, did a really good job of helping me try to figure that out as best as possible. But it got to a point where that entire ecosystem was affecting everything for me, my mental health, my grades, my family life all of those factors. And so they helped me switch that environment. And that is when I was able to testify in front of the General Assembly and get those two pieces of legislation passed. But we honestly had to go through it together, not knowing what was going to come next, but having each other and and having their support has always been such a huge factor for me. And I'm incredibly grateful that they've been by my side through that. That's so cool. So there were less so words and instructions and all. it was just so like, if you need us, we're here. If you need us, we're here. And that is, you know, almost having, you know, being able to hold somebody's hand on a scary ride, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm watching. Don't worry, I've got your back. Exactly. And, and kind of padding your back throughout, but also letting you have some level of autonomy. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that because now as a young person who is entirely supporting myself on my own, and I've since moved across the country away from all of my family. So I have all of those skills and the ability to do that because of that lesson and what my parents gave to me throughout. So it wasn't pretty, but it definitely landed me here. Yeah, I can testify. I think you have to go, you have to kind of raise your knees and cut your elbows and get up and stand up and shake things off. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with you. So at what point, you're in high school, you're not having the best time at high school, right? You're kind of going through everything on top of, on top of, you know, your own personal issues, you're going through all the puberty, the, the mood swings, the the acne, the, the, yeah. the, the everything, right? Oh, the, all of yep. it, right? Big time. <laughs> so <laughs> at what point, because I could imagine though, in some cases you may have been like, I just want to disappear. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be that. I just want to get on with yeah. my work. At what point are you like, I want to speak in front of people. I want to garner an audience and I want other people to know that I exist And this is what my story and my narrative is like. So it was a really interesting timeline because I first shared my story slash gave a talk in general when I was 15. And that was the TEDx talk that I gave. So that literally was my launching off point and the catalyst that kind of propelled me forward into this journey that I'm now on. But it was through having the worst years of my life, or some of the worst years, I should say, where I had to get through the thickest weeds and the the most dark moments that you can imagine uh, to 
be a little bit more specific, I was very close to ending my life when I was 11 because just like you said, Abraxas, I felt like I wanted to disappear and there was no point in being me or dealing with the things that I had to face on a daily basis, whether that was the teasing or the physical pain or whatever. And so I had to go through that in order to learn, listen, this is a good thing. This is something that you can use to teach others and show them that they don't need to be confined or even defined by any circumstance or condition or any of those things. It's truly up to us, the life that we decide to live. And so that for me was the driving force and not only sharing my story for the first time when I was 15, but then just being on this mission of elevating empathy and showing people that you really do get to dictate the life that you live. And so that is what I've been following. And I'm still doing this about seven years later and genuinely could not imagine doing anything else, but also trying to still navigate what it means to be a young person, uh, let alone a young person with a disability who is queer and like all of the, the factors that I'm showing up as. But again, I wouldn't want it any other way. Brandon, I like that. I like that. And I, first of all, I want to say, you know, it's, it's tough for me to say, like, I, I want to say like, you know, I'm sorry for the struggle that you had to go through. I'm sure I'm sorry for the, for all the, all, all the pain that you've had to go through, but I'm so happy that you are still here telling your story because I don't know if you know, but I've, I've done some digging around <laughs> and there are so many people that are so grateful to you for all the things that you said. So I'm going to move a little on, right? I'm going to move a little on. You, you're, you've had this epiphany that, hey, I want to do more speaking. At this point, what are you leaving behind? Right. What do you what is Brandon leaving behind when he's like, OK, well, I kind of want to do speaking and activism and all these other things. You have to have been leaving something behind. Right. Maybe there was a university you wanted to go to. Maybe you wanted to do more science, Brandon. Who knows? <laughs> but um, What were you leaving behind in order to pursue your dreams? So I, I'm really glad that you are asking this because it's something that is kind of glossed over. But. I'm really proud of the way that I've been able to innovate my journey. And so how that's shown up is I started a four-year university right out of high school. And it was something that I thought I would be able to do both, speak and do what I already was doing, but also manage a full-time course load, which, yikes, uh, <laughs> that was not possible at all. And so I very quickly had to make a decision that both the impact that I was having outside of that university, aka literally being flown out to other colleges and companies across the country while I was being forced to take a public, like an intro to public speaking class. That <laughs> I think I got a C in, by the way, which I think is amazing. That is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and so it basically was 
a single semester that I did that. And then I spoke with my parents and really said, I know the path that I'm on, especially with the momentum and passion, but also purpose that I have at this point in my life. It's something that I need to continue tapping into. And so I then left university and became a full-time speaker and entrepreneur. And at 19, was able to really jumpstart the path that I wanted to be on for basically four years since I discovered the gift from that TEDx moment. And I really have not looked back since. It's also something that I recognize I also have in my back pocket at any time the ability to take virtual courses or even go back to school part time and do it virtually. So I'm not shutting that out by any means, but I just really want to utilize this momentum and what I have right now. Yes, uh, I think you should continue to do so. (laughs) I kind of want to twist a little more here and talk about Gen Z. (laughs) <laughs> so you are a Gen Z activist and I, uh, I feel like I've heard of more Gen Z activists than I've maybe even heard of millennial activists, mm-hmm. um, which is super cool, by the way. What do you think the components are or why Gen Z are kind of different, right? What are Gen Z tapping into that maybe millennials and the other generations above us didn't? Oh, I would say it's twofold. Number one, we are at a point in our world slash society that if we don't step up in exponential ways, I don't see how the future is going to exist. Climate change being one of the prime examples of that. But also having social media be so native to us because the majority of Gen Z that are on social media now, I would bet they got started when they were around maybe 10 to 13 years old. So a pretty young age to get familiar and acclimated. But now the younger Gen Zs that are even younger than me, I would say less than 18, they probably started when they were I don't know, six or seven or eight. And I I know a lot of parents are sometimes even clueless to that and the fact that their kids are on social media. But Gen Z has really utilized what it means to come together, use our voices collectively, and understanding that, yes, you could be one person, but you are in a sea of people and can absolutely make your voice be heard and create a movement out of that because it spreads like wildfire before we know it through a tweet or an Insta post or whatever it might be. And that is the power of utilizing digital and really tapping into that to create change and to move forward you know, towards positive action. And Gen Z has done that in an amazing way. Yeah, I will definitely say that Gen Z are way more, like, I 
I speaking to somebody who was like 14. He was like, yeah, you know, I could easily set up a Discord server for you if you need it. <laughs> I was like, what? Like just have <laughs> a bit more tech savvy, a bit more, a bit more aware and way more social media aware. Um, right. Although we, I mean, we harp on and talk about the negatives of social media, but it's rare that we kind of focus on the, the big positives that social media have. There's no, there's no more need for like a pen pal. Well, you can, but you can be friends. You could meet somebody once and continue a relationship with them for a lifetime. A thousand percent. So it's really interesting that you're leaning more into the positives. Well, I think maybe the older generation is kind of a very easy to pick out the negatives of social media. So no, thank, thank you for that. Definitely. But I, I do think that we are very aware of the negative implications as well. And a lot of us are living through that, not just Gen Z, but anyone who has experienced feeling drained or anxious or like you are not good enough because of social media. That's not a Gen Z problem, but I think it is even more so plaguing young people because we don't necessarily have the life experience of navigating years and years of going through it and understanding that you don't need to compare yourself to those around you. So yeah, it's still there, but you're exactly right. It's all about perspective and how you're choosing to use it. It could be really awesome or the opposite, but depending on you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've had moments of really awesome and moments of, I hate this. <laughs> I wish it didn't exist. Sure. <laughs> so your book, 10 Feet Tall, when did you start writing that book? And what's your primary source of inspiration? Like, as I said, we spoke about you becoming a public speaker, but at one point are you like, okay, not only do I want to do public speaking, I also want to be an author. So, you know, what was the sort of driving force behind your book, 10 Feet Tall? And when did you decide you wanted to be an author as well? I was a senior in high school, so 18. And this is after I went through a really difficult time being cyberbullied and just having absolutely no self-esteem or self-worth during that process. And I realized how powerful it is to share your story and let others in to your journey in a vulnerable way. And I had, of course, already experienced that with the TEDx talk, but I knew a book was next in helping people even more. And so I also wanted to not just make this book about my story and the life that I've lived, but really sharing the lessons and tools that I've been able to pick up along the way that have carried me forward to really not let the external or internal circumstances of my life stopped me from moving forward. And so it was after all of that, and that really being my inspiration to share with people, yes, you could experience really traumatic stuff that can break you almost, like nearly, nearly break you, but you could also rise above that and use that to better yourself and others through sharing it in some way. Not saying everybody has to be an author or a speaker or whatnot, but even just sharing with a friend what you've been going through 
can be so powerful, not only for you, but for that person as well. And so I recognize that. And that is how 10 Feet Tall came to be. And similarly, actually, with my new book that came out about a month ago, a kid's book about self-love, this is the first time that I'm writing specifically to a youth audience, but the message is just as powerful to the grown-ups reading it as well. I recognized during this time especially the need for all of us to have self-love. And if we don't, how can we properly love others? How can we show up in the way that we are truly supposed to without that fundamental skill? And so starting with kids, but also a message that can be universally implemented throughout. And I think those two books in the world right now, seeing the impact that they are creating. It's just remarkable to have people embrace this message of something that is bigger than yourself because you don't get stuck in why am I going through this or kind of the, the victim mindset that I used to find myself in. But through therapy and counseling and also personal development, I'm now here where I definitely am still going through it, but I'm also able to serve in this capacity, which I'm really blessed to, to say. Yeah. Um, having, well, having been partway through um, 10 Feet Tall, it's, it's, it's really something. And for you to be so open and honest and vulnerable, uh, it's honestly, I, I get it now. I get all the reviews. I get why people, <laughs> I get it. Like, I, it wasn't to say I didn't Thank get your you, ism, but I truly do get your ism. And you are going to be a champion for so <laughs> many people for years to come. You are 22 years old. Am I correct? Yes, sir. All right. So you're 22. Right, you published two books. <laughs> you did your first TED talk at fifteen, and you were regularly booked out as a keynote speaker at Fortune one hundred companies. What comes next for anybody who is interested in you and interested in what you're bringing to the world? What are you What are you thinking about doing next? I think I'm honestly just getting into my stride now, and that is partially because I've moved into an environment that. I am just thriving in every capacity, uh, which is San Diego, and it's literally paradise for me. But I'm, I'm also, to be honest, I'm genuinely practicing self-love for the first time in my life because I am truly enjoying what it means to be me and all of that comes with it. And that has never been something that I've been able to say before. And I think it is simply because I had to reach a point first of accepting where I'm at, where I'm truly meant to be, but also that other people don't get to define my sense of worth. And that's completely up to me. And I get to kind of set the pace for how that goes. And the same with all of us. So I really believe that 
it's about finding where you are meant to be in terms of purpose and passion. I think those correlate hand in hand, but also understanding that we don't have to have all of the answers figured out. We don't have to change everything in our life for everything to change and to get something new and experience like an elevated level. And so I've been able to, I think, both show that and be an example, not because of the fact that I have a disability, but because of how I've decided to live my life with my disability, with the circumstances that I have. And that's universal. You don't need to have some medical condition to live the life that you are meant to live. It's question time, and it's not questions from me anymore. It's questions from the audience. So (laughs) (laughs) the first person I am going to bring up is Denise Hamilton. Denise Hamilton, what is going on? I hope you're doing well. And what question do you have for Brandon? Well, Abraxas, I adore you. And Brandon, I adore you as well. And I'm so glad you're um, having this time to, to dig into you. So this is a question I've been wanting to ask you for a while. Um, there is a lot of ageism in the speaking industry, right? Like, you know, people really value gray hair. Um, and it is very easy for people to underestimate you, to dismiss you and say, you know, you haven't lived enough life to teach anybody anything. How do you manage and, you know, so far, so successfully overcome people who underestimate you? Denise, first off, I absolutely adore you too. Thank you for the question. I would say, number one, all of my life, I've had to deal with being underestimated. So that was not new for me with entering the speaking circuit but you are so spot on that people really value the conventional and those that have years and years of experience under their belt, sometimes over the newbie. But what I recognized was that my story was truly unique, both paired with the fact that I was coming into the space being so young, And I still have the same mindset that if people are going to dismiss my thoughts or perspective simply because I am the way that I am, whether that's the age or disability or my sexuality or any of those other things, then I'm not trying to serve that audience. But I do understand that it's up to me to really prove them wrong and not just talk about something but show it through living my life. And I, again, hope that I've been able to do that simply with the the journey that I've been on the last few years. Appreciate the question, Denise. And you know, I adore you too. It's mutual. (laughs) Up next, we have Semha. Semha, I hope you're doing well. What question do you have for Brandon? My question for you um, is kind of centered around the future a little bit. So we learned, you know, through your um, experience, you found your purpose to tell your story, advocate for change. 
Um, but when you look around today, what is it that inspires you and what are you excited to do uh, going forward as you, you know, get in your stride and, and explore new things? I think what really pushes me is still seeing the amount of inequity and just overall inequality that exists in our world that I'm on a mission to flip the switch on and really bring empathy forward and especially towards the disability community, having inclusion and belonging be an actual thing. But that really, I think from the start, like even before I decided to use my voice for change and become an activist, I recognized how dire this situation is for so many different areas and the need to step up in some capacity and doing what we can. I'm not saying we have to be a hero for all of these different causes, but being a champion for something is what I'm all about. And if we could find what that something is, then I think it also gives us a sense of purpose beyond just who we are. And that's pretty amazing. So thanks for the question, Semhar. I love that. Thank you for the answer. Thanks again, Semhar. Um, up next, we have, I want to say, Hyan? And if I've mispronounced your name, I do apologize. Sean. That's one of my good friends. What's up, Sean? Oh, Sean, what's going on? Apologies. <laughs> Sean, what question do you have for Brandon? First of all, if I didn't know it, I wouldn't know how to pronounce my name either. It's Sean or Sean, and I'm obviously one of Brandon's biggest fans, but not the only one. Um, my question for you is one of the things that I teach about is, is making sure that we have actions that feed our self-love and our self-esteem. Do you have any rituals that you do to keep yourself uh, you know, in terms of self-care or or in terms of promoting, you know, positive uh, self-esteem that you do for yourself on a daily basis? Yeah, that I, I think what you alluded to self-care is everything when it comes to being on a okay path. And I have learned to be really intentional about my self-care and especially being outside as much as possible as that for me is like the biggest factor in my mood and energy levels. It's such a simple thing, but literally getting an hour or two of sun can be the difference between me having a couple of days of feeling absolute gloom and sadness and like low energy, all of that. So yeah, just knowing where my boundaries lie and also the fact that I now have moved to Southern California where the weather is just jaw dropping. It's incredible. And so nearly every single day I'm able to be outside and whether that's taking a Segway ride on one of the amazing trails here or going to the dog beach, which is my absolute favorite spot. It has been the biggest gift for both my mental health and creativity. So my advice to anyone would be find what your level of bliss 
and also relief is from self-care activities. It could be as simple as taking five minutes before or after you start your day and your day to meditate or breathe or listen to music or do one of those really cool apps that help guide you through it. Something like that can be the difference between you being completely overwhelmed and having a day where you feel like you're fine and you're, you're totally you. And that's really important. So especially having a disability and a, a lot of these, you know, other circumstances that I talked about that I have found myself dealing with, it's really important, especially to have that routine. And so that has been really important for me. Appreciate you as always, Sean. Appreciate you. And thank you again. We've got three more questions coming your way and a surprise one, or maybe a surprise fourth. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to be difficult though. I'm telling you, it's going to be really tough. Just letting you know, it's going to be about science. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's no. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, better than math though. I almost walked out of like nearly every math course. <laughs> oh, math is the worst for me as well. I'm glad we could connect there at least. Um, <laughs> oh, <good time. laughs> up next, we have Fahad. Fahad, I hope all is going well. What question do you have for Brandon? I'm going to dive into the question right away. Brandon, there's a quote of yours wherein you say that I understand that I'll never understand. However, I stand. I'd, I'd like to know how difficult is it for you to make the average human being, you know, the average human being does not have a high level of emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. To iterate the difference between sympathy and empathy, wherein sympathy is more to do with a one-way street and empathy is a two-way street. And that's it. That's my question. Love this question, Fahad. Well, firstly, that is not my quote. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head who said that, but it definitely was not out of my mouth, but one of my favorites for sure. Um, that is such a huge distinction that you made between sympathy and empathy. And I don't often think we are consciously aware of it unless we truly know what empathy is, which is the ability to stand with somebody else, not necessarily from the sidelines, but understanding that we are a human being too. We may not know what it's like to be in their exact situation or to be in their shoes, but we can be with them and stand with them throughout what they're going through versus sympathy, where just like I said, it's kind of like being on the sidelines and pointing to that person saying, oh, sorry over there that you're going through that really tough thing. It must really suck. But that's not helpful that doesn't do really anything beneficial. Whereas empathy, that's where true connection comes from. And without it, you don't have the ability to be truly vulnerable or have a level of connection with somebody that you would where sympathy would be the focus. But understanding how truly vital empathy is, I think can guide us towards making it 
a part of our everyday life. I think that's perfect, Brandon, and more power to you. Thanks for hard. All right, last two here. Bianca, it has been a while. I hope you're doing well. Bianca is a model, actress, and empowerment vice president. Bianca, what is up and what question do you have for Brandon? Thank you so much for hosting this discussion. And thank you, Brandon, for sharing your story on cyberbullying. I was wondering, what would you like to tell someone who is being cyberbullied right now? And secondly, how would you tackle helping the victims of cyberbullying? Bianca, I appreciate this so much. I would say, well, firstly, I don't know that I fully mentioned this, but in the midst of my experience in high school, when I started getting nearly a new death threat on a weekly basis from my peers, I was so beat down that I basically listened to all of the comments and horrible things that people would say about me, that I was the ugliest thing that they've ever seen, never gonna find anyone who loves me, and that became my narrative. But it wasn't until I was able to get truly past that way of seeing myself and of course getting out of that physical environment, which was huge too. But number one, we have to fundamentally recognize asking for help is truly the most brave thing that we can do. It is nothing but a sign of strength. And I wish that every single person who is experiencing feeling alone or isolated, being targeted with harassment or hate, knows that. Because none of us can fully do this alone, especially in some of our darkest moments. But then when it comes to stopping it, I think the overall cycle is hurt people hurt people. And until we stop where that hurt is coming from in the first place, it is just going to keep perpetuating. And so that's where empathy, compassion really come into play in a, a real fundamental way that isn't disingenuous. But I think that is the most important thing, not like kill them with kindness or any of that BS. But what can we do to stop this cycle, understanding that it is a mental health and truly an empathy problem? One more question, and it is coming from Jess. Hello, and Brandon, this has been a wonderful conversation to listen to. Um, so yeah, it's been so lovely to um, listen to you and your answers. Um, almost a closing question. As a Gen Z, what would what message would you give to the older generation? What key message would you give to them from a Gen Z? Oh, okay. I love this, but I also feel the pressure. I honestly would say that we need to be looked to more for answers and for more solutions than saying, you know what, we've got this. And in a few years when 
you all take over as the majority, whether that's in the workforce, the economy, voting, like all these things, that's when you could make decisions. I instead think it needs to be not only collaborative, but co-creating solutions of how we could genuinely create a better society and a more positive way forward. Because I think that is what we need in so many different areas. But until we're able to come together in that way, that we don't have these separations and divisions that we're not able to even communicate in the first place, I think that's what is stopping us. So it is maybe a perspective shift that I would offer. And that is look to us, look for our help, for our perspective, and, you know, to truly work with us to create a better society for all of us. And it is up to all of us to do that. And until that happens, we can't really create the exponential change that we so desperately need. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. I have enjoyed this so much, Abraxas. Truly grateful for all of you being here and taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to what I have to say. <laughs>